I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. The presenting sponsor of today's podcast is Fifth Element CBD. Fifth Element is ultra-high milligram CBD focused on relief and recovery after a workout. They are specially designed for people with an active lifestyle from weekend warriors to professional athletes to bucket list gym enthusiasts. Fifth Element, aka 5E, is full spectrum high milligram hemp to help you whenever, wherever you need it, whether it's after the gym or after work. Get yours today to feel better tomorrow by visiting 5ehemp.com and use the promo code MONSTER for 50% off. Yes, you heard that right 50% off. Half off. That's 5ehemp.com and use the code MONSTER. Go to 5ehemp and get 50% off. That's the number 5, the letter E, hemp.com. You're listening to the Red Sea Podcast, part of the Over the Monster Network. Red Sox fans have longed to hear it. The Boston Red Sox are world champions. Hosted by Jake Devereaux. It's gone. It's into the bullpen. This game is tied. This game is tied. David Ortiz. David Ortiz. David Ortiz. And featuring Keaton DeRocher. It's a grand slam. I'm telling you. And we are back for another week of the Red Seat Podcast. I am your host, Jake Devereaux, and joining me on episode 205 is my spectacular co-host, Keaton DeRocher of Over the Monster and the Dynasty Guru. Keaton, what's up, my friend? Not much. Just finished enjoying some nice shrimp tacos and ready to rock. Nice. I, I counter your shrimp taco with my own chicken tacos, which I just finished eating. So, uh, you know, it is clearly a Taco Monday here uh, for us, but you are listening to this on a Taco Tuesday. Um, and we have uh, another fabulous agenda for you guys today. Um, we're going to get through that. We've got a bunch of news and notes, some things from spring training that we're going to be talking about. We're going to be running through our superlatives going through our MVP hitter, MVP pitcher, MVP bullpen arm, defensive wizard, unsung hero, first rookie call-up, and a prospect to pop. Um, then we'll get to your listener questions. So we have a whole lot to cover today. Um, so let's get right into it, Keaton, with our news and notes. Um, you know, the Red Sox have been doing something kind of funny this offseason, and I noticed that they did it again. Uh, they have, for what seems like the 19th week in a row, either claimed or released Joel Pines. Uh, and this time he is going back to the Blue Jays. How does Pines feel after all this, do you think? Just being passed around like a white elephant exchange. Probably feels exactly like Ross Ventrone did for the Patriots in that season that it was like 40-something times he was added and removed from and then his brother was also on the team so that was like a little added hitch there 
But uh, that's what that made me think of, <laughs> which seems widely irrelevant for um, some random fact that I should know. But I, I'm surprised that I remember who Ross Ventron was. But um, yeah, probably not great. <laughs> He'd probably like to get somewhere and uh, play, even if it's not on a, a major league invite, just be somewhere and play and not have to worry about his job security. You know, it's tough times out there, man. There's a pandemic. Yeah, I hope he has a really good air mattress because I can't imagine that he's actually renting apartments or anything like that. Or hopefully the team is putting him up at a hotel or something. I don't know. But uh, yeah, this guy's being passed around. Um, I never expected ever again in my life to think about Ross Ventrone. So (laughs) good on you, Keaton. Um, That was unexpected. Um, next note here, uh, Kevin Pulwecki. We have some good news with him. He has been reinstated from the COVID IL. He is the reason why Joel Piamps is, you know, hitting the road again. Uh, good to have Pulwecki back in camp, isn't it? Yeah. There's still uh, at least one guy. I think it's a couple guys missing from the COVID list. They'd like to have a, a nice, healthy roster. But, yeah, Pulwecki is going to be, uh, you know, pretty key this year as that, hoping that he can replicate what he did in 2020. Um, and be that real solid backup catcher for when Vasquez needs to stay off. So that's uh, that's an important position because they don't really have much catcher depth at all at the major league level uh, or near major league level. So going to need him healthy and ready to rock. Yeah, I was so impressed with what Pulecki brought to the team last year. So nice to get his presence back. I was a big proponent of bringing him back this year and – you know, I don't expect him to replicate exactly what he did because I think he probably performed a little bit above his head uh, last season. But if he can give us anything close to that, he's going to be a key contributor uh, to the Red Sox in 2021. Um, next piece of news here, the Red Sox have signed Danny Santana, formerly of the Texas Rangers, to a $1.75 million deal, uh, $1 million in incentives, plus a hundred k bonus if he starts in AAA. Uh, he also has an opt-out, so you know if if teams like what they see from him in spring training, um, think that he's healthy and want to offer him an opportunity elsewhere, uh, he can go ahead and test that market. Um, if I recall correctly, Keaton, from talking to you before, I think Danny Santana is a guy that you kind of liked before, right? Yeah, I love this. Um, obviously, uh, you know, like many others, didn't have a great twenty twenty. Uh, but in really his first full season uh, in 2019, uh, really broke out, hit 283, 28 homers, 21 steals. Um, doesn't really walk a lot. Does have some strikeout issues, but I mean that's can certainly be made up when you're hitting 20 bombs, stealing 20 bags, and he has the ability to play basically every position on the diamond. Um, so the Red Sox seem to be coveting those util guys. Uh, and this is like complete example of the high risk uh, or low risk, high reward. Um, no real skin off their back if he goes somewhere else or if he doesn't work out. Uh, but if he does and regains some of his 2019 magic, then that is a bat and a skill set that this team can definitely use. So I like it. Yeah, we talked about this move on uh, the Red Sox on deck podcast on Friday. And, um, you know, one of the things that Bob pointed out was that he brings a speed element that not a lot of people on this current Red Sox team have. So if he does end up sticking, that is 
kind of interesting because he's he's a threat to steal bases. He stole over 20 bases, I believe, uh, last time he was healthy. So um, interesting little little addition there. I'm still not convinced that he's going to be content with the uncertainty um, of this current roster situation. I kind of think he's a he's a risk to jump, um, but I would like to see him stay here um, because I think that it's wonderful depth if any injuries were to happen. Um, and especially having another guy that can play the outfield, to me, that's huge. Yep, definitely. Um, he has more games in center field than a lot of guys on this roster who are going to be in the outfield. So uh, that can help in case yeah. of, uh, you know, Franchi may not be ready for opening day. Uh, they may not want to be aggressive with Duran. You may want to keep Kike there. So if he has a decent spring, um, you know, he may be the one starting center. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely an interesting possibility there and, you know, maybe a reason why he signed as well. Um, Next note here, Brian Mata, uh, not good news here for one of the Red Sox top pitching prospects. He has a slight UCL tear, which the team says they are going to try and treat conservatively uh, with rest. Um, Keaton, I don't like the sound of either the UCL tear or the idea of treating it conservatively with rest. Um, I tweeted out when I found this out that he should just go call Garrett Richards and ask him for his opinion about treating UCLs with rest uh, and, you know, magic dust or whatever the platelet-rich plasma injections are. But um doesn't seem like a good plan here. No, not at all. I mean, they tried that with sale and they wasted like, what was it? They just wasted eight months until they finally had to give him the surgery. Um, and it really, it's like every single time any team tries to heal a UCL issue with rest, it never, ever works and just delays Tommy John. Just get it. Yeah, I guess the only X factor here to me is just that Brian Mata is young. He's very young, um, you know, and, and maybe there's a different rate of success with uh, conservative approaches to UCL tears when guys are as young as he is um, versus a guy like Garrett Richards who had it in his uh, mid-20s or a guy like, you know, Sale who had it closer to 30 or 31. Um, That could be part of this equation, but it kind of just seems like you got to pull the bandaid off. Yep. Totally agree. Um, your boy, Garrett Richards, he looked really bad again, Keaton, um, <laughs> got blown up for four runs, um, and just a couple innings says it's mechanical. Uh, basically what he said is his top half is not synced up with his bottom half. Um, and that was pretty apparent. He didn't really seem to have his release point. He was sailing a lot of pitches. Um, are you worried about your boy? No. I will be worried if it carries over to the regular season, but isn't this exactly what spring training is for, is figuring all this junk out before the season starts? Yep, and this is why I hate talking about spring training, Um, (laughs) because it's literally a time for guys to work on stuff, and uh, I have zero concerns either. I don't care about spring training stats, whether they be good or bad at all. Devers is batting under 200 right now. Do I care about that? Absolutely not. Um, I also don't care about the fact that Garrett Richards is getting lit up in spring training. So as long as he's healthy, man, that's all I care about. This dude has literally never had a bad season, even when he has been like, you know, not healthy all the time. Whenever he's on the mound, he's actually really good. 
Zero concerns. All right. Uh, on the flip side, let's all overreact to how great Matt Barnes looked uh, <laughs> in his his latest outing. Um, anything to glean off of Barnes looking dominant last time he pitched? I mean, we both kind of think he's the favorite for the closer role. Does this strengthen that at all, or is this all just not matter at all? Probably, but I don't think there was much doubt um, because it's spring training. Guys are ramping up. Um, like, I mean, we've seen him have really good stretches at the major league level too, but then he becomes inconsistent and it all falls apart. So it just, it's just, I, I guess I'd be a little bit more worried if he's supposed to be the, the opening day closer and he struggles all through spring training. But, um, I think even then he still would be given the job out of the gate. So I don't think there was, there's much to glean from it other than, uh, good for him. Yeah, I agree. Um, I expect Barnes to, to look good. He's had some of the best strikeout stuff in all of baseball out of the bullpen over the last couple of years. So, um, you know, happy he looks good. Uh, moving on, Xander Bogarts, my favorite player on the Red Sox, um, still hasn't debuted. He's dealing with a sore shoulder. The team is being very conservative with it, which is smart because it's spring training. Um, are you starting to get worried at all with how long he's been dealing with this? Or, you know, do you think it's just smart by the team to make sure that they are treating this with an abundance of caution? Yeah, I think it's smart. Um, I mean, he's still, right now, he's still supposed to be ready for opening day. So I think I'll start getting worried if they, you know, if we're getting closer and he hasn't done like any baseball related activities yet. And then it'll bleed into the regular season. Then I'll get worried about it. But uh, the Red Sox also have a history of completely underplaying injuries altogether. So <laughs> he may be, uh, you know, out for two months, but they're just not telling us. So, uh, but I'm going to choose to believe that it's just it's early in the spring. No need to rush him, and he'll be fine for opening day. Yeah, I got to think a guy with Bogarts's track record in terms of durability and how well he takes care of his body. Um, I got to think that he is going to play uh, as much as he usually does. I would be really surprised if he missed any time. Yeah. We know that this is the guy who played at his detriment through a broken, what was it, finger the year that he kind of scuttled at the plate. We found out he was yeah. playing through a broken finger for like a couple of months or something like that. Um, so, yeah, I expect I, – I don't really think a guy like Bogarts, as good as he is, really needs a lot of spring training time. No, I agree. Flip side, healthy Eduardo Rodriguez. Um, this was really good news. He looked strong on Friday. He went two and two-thirds innings pitched. Um, you know, looked good, looked like Erod. Um, Velo might have been a touch lower than it usually is, but like it again, it's spring training. I'm not going to overreact to what Erod's Velo is on a Friday in the spring. Um, I was just happy to see him out there and his pitches looked pretty crisp. Yeah, I think that is one that you can overreact to, though, given the circumstances of he didn't pitch at all right. last year and was coming off of uh, you know, major medical complications from COVID-19 just to get him back out on the mound and for him to be as crisp as he was. That was just great to see. 
I'm ready to fully overreact to that. <laughs> All right, good. We can finally fully overreact to something happening during spring training. Yeah, you know, you you might be right. This uh, this might be something we can overreact to. I like it. Okay, um, that about does it for our news and notes. Um, there's a whole bunch of stuff going on uh, in spring training. You know, I definitely urge you guys to go out there and and check it out. Uh, we'll have a little bit of fun right before we get into our superlatives here. Um, Keaton, I'm going to ask you to guess uh, category leaders in spring training right now. Okay, blindly. Uh, okay. Um, who is leading the team in batting average spring training so far? Um, is it Kike? It is. Wow, nice work. Yeah, yeah six twenty-five well, batting thing. average. So. Shelly and I just recorded the first episode of the, the new season uh, talking about the past week in spring mm-hmm. training. And so I had the pitching and hitting stats up for the entire pod. <laughs> so, so this might not not uh, be as difficult as I thought. Okay. Um, we'll, we'll go with a couple more. And if you keep acing these, we might have to uh, change it up. Um, who is the spring training home run leader? Bobby Dahlbeck. That is correct. Um, who is the spring training RBI leader for the team? This is a harder one. Uh, it is a harder one because I don't think it's one of the obvious ones. It's not Chavis, although he's right behind Dalbuck in home runs. Um, is that Hernandez as well? It is Jairo Munoz. <laughs> no, yeah, no, I wasn't going to get that. <laughs> nope. Um, finally, uh, we'll go with two more, two on the pitching side. Um, who has the most strikeouts on the team? It's actually a tie. Two people. Um, no, um, what the heck was his name? Um, not, oh my God. <laughs> I can't, I'm trying to remember the page. It's four, right? It's four five. The, oh, five is the number. Um, oh, um. This is great radio, by the way. I know. This is <laughs> me. It's not not Siebold. It was the other guy that they – it's bugging me that I can't think of his name. You can just say it. Garrett Whitlock. That's the one. Yep, Damn, that's the one. Because we specifically talked about him on the pod with Shelly. Yep. Uh, Whitlock, uh, he is the leader in strikeouts tied with Kyle Hart. And then uh, innings pitch leader for this spring. Who is, is it? So Whitlock with like four? It is Whitlock with four, tied with your boy, Garrett Richards, who has thrown four terrible innings, giving up six earned runs. <laughs> and six walks. So, all right, that was that was much less fun than I anticipated it was going to be. Let's get right to our uh, superlatives here. Um, so the idea with these, we do these every year, um, and we have some fun with it. We're just kind of trying to forecast what we think is going to happen, who are going to be the standout players uh, for this team. We did MVP hitter, MVP pitcher, and MVP bullpen arm. That gives us a little bit more leeway other than just like the best hitter on the team or the best pitcher on the team or the best bullpen arm. Um, so the, the the person who's going to be most important to the team. So Keaton, let's kick it off with our MVP hitter of the year. Who is your MVP hitter for the Boston Red Sox? J.D. Martinez. Because I think... We're going to get what we expect out of Devers and Bogarts, which are probably the two uh, that will first come to mind for MVP hitter. But I think what we get out of 
J.D. Martinez is much more important because he's coming off of that bad year. Um, he has all of these opt-outs and whatnot in his contract, but um, you and I spent a whole bunch of time in 2019 talking about how J.D. Martinez was really kind of like the heart and soul of that batting order, um, hitting cleanup, driving in runs. When he was doing well, everybody else in the order was doing well. And I think that kind of that trickle-down effect really kind of it, – it's him with that bottleneck because I think – the first three ahead of him, if we're you know assuming Verdugo, Bogarts, Devers in some order, um, they're going to do what they do. They're going to get on base. They're going to get a bunch of hits. They're going to have a bunch of production. But I think the bottom of the lineup really turns on him. And when he's doing well, the rest of the lineup after him does well. When he struggles, the rest of the lineup after him struggles. So I think if we're talking about importance to the lineup and scoring runs, I think J.D. Martinez is the catalyst. And what we've heard on him being excited about having his video back and that he just really kind of wasn't into it last year and he's ready and focused and preparing and he feels good. I think we're in for a nice massive JD bounce back and we're going to have a bunch of runs. I love that. That's such a good pick. Um, I think you're totally right, man. The three bankable guys right now, the ones that everyone feels good about heading into this season are, are the obvious top three that you talked about. But having JD return to form just completely transforms how dangerous this lineup is. And, you know, we're just two years removed from JD Martinez being like one of the top five hitters in the game. Um, so, yeah, uh, I love this pick. It is it is fantastic for all the reasons you stated um, for me, mine is Rafael Devers, and let me explain this because I agree with what you said, Keaton. We all expect them to be really good, um, but I expect them to be really, really good. Um, 2019, he had 32 home runs, 129 runs, 115 RBIs, and batted 311. Um, last year, he was good, but he wasn't nearly that good. He had a 109 WRC+. Plus. 263 batting average with 11 home runs over 57 games. I think he's going to blow his 2019 numbers out of the water. I think that Devers will be a top three American League MVP candidate this year. I think he's going to challenge for 40 home runs. I think he'll be right around 40 with right around 120 RBIs while batting over 300 with like a 360 to 375 OBP. And it wouldn't shock me if he won the MVP this year. That's the type of year that I think he's going to have. I think he's going to return not only to form, but I think that, you know, um, Alex Cora's influence on him is huge. He didn't have that last year. He's 24 years old. He came in in better shape this year. I think he's sick of hearing about how great all the other young players in baseball are, and I think he really wants to have him himself, his name, included among those best young players in baseball, and I think he'll emphatically do that this year. Yeah, I'm with you. And it'll be, you know, the, the 2019 numbers were really, really good. Um, but through the first, like, month and a half of the season, he was hitting, like, 200 and really struggling and still yeah. finished with that stat line. So he puts together a full year of what is what he was working with in 2019, and he, you're right. You're looking at like 40 homers, a crap ton of RBIs, maybe even like a 330 average. 
just the limitless potential there with him. Yeah, and I think he goes over the 90 extra base hits he had in 2019 too, which is going to be bold. That's a bold prediction right there because 54 doubles that year was bananas. Um, But I think he's going to do it. I'm going to pepper that wall. Yeah. All right. Um, Let's see. Um, MVP pitcher. All right, Keaton. Tell us about Garrett Richards. <laughs> yeah, well, my pick was Garrett Richards. Uh, and I think it's because we know what Evaldi is and we kind of know what we're going to get with him. We'll probably get like 100 to 130 innings of pretty stellar pitching. Some ups and downs be inconsistent, but we know what we're going to get. Um, really excited about Erod. I probably could give this to Erod because, um, you know, I think we're hoping that he'll be back close to his 2019. I don't think, I mean, it's a stretch to think he'll get to 200 innings after having not pitched last year, but a stable of strong innings out of him. Martin Perez, again, he is what he is, like a mid-fours ERA, but that's great for like a fourth, fifth starter, sure. So really, I think the uh, the catalyst of the uh, rotation is what they're going to get out of Richards. Um, and like you already pointed out, when he's on the mound and healthy, he is really freaking good. Um, it's just the being on the mound and healthy part that's been his his difficulty. But now he's finally got TJ after trying all that janky junk with uh, rest and injections and whatnot. Uh, and now he's, you know, that extra season removed from the recovery. So I am looking for big things from Garrett Richards. And he, I think, really is going to kind of... Um, Erod is certainly going to set the table for the rotation um, until Sale gets back. And until Sale gets back, Richards um, is really going to, I think, dictate the success and whether or not we have a major league caliber rotation or if we're looking at something like more closer to 2020 where we can only get a starter to go four innings at a time and we're into a bunch of bad pitchers in the bullpen finishing out the rest of the games. I don't want to do another season like that at all. So I got real high hopes for Richards that he's going to be able to consistently go, you know, close to six innings and outing and be healthy for an entire season. Um, but I think that makes him the the most valuable pitcher in that rotation because we are asking quite a lot of him. Yeah, we are. We sure are until, you know, self can come back and, and be sale. I think he's going to be so important for the top of that rotation. Like you said, um, I view Eovaldi very similarly, and that's why Eovaldi is my pick. I actually think there's a lot of similarities between Garrett Richards and Eovaldi. Um, you know, Richards has had a lot more success, but I think when you look at especially the last three seasons for Eovaldi, um, when he kind of figured it out in 2018 and then put it together in 2019, 2020 in a lot of ways, uh, 2019 was a season he'd like to forget with the 5.99 ERA, but there were still some positive trends um, within that bad year, notably his strikeout rate going up and and things like that. Um, But last year, he ended up posting his uh, best ever ERA um, over, well, I I shouldn't say best ever. I I guess it's best ever uh, pre-Tommy John. Or since since pre Tommy John, uh, he had a three point seven two ERA, which was his best 
that he's posted since 2013. So it had been quite some time since he was that good. He also had his best ever XFIP, 3.32. Um, and that was solidly behind the fact that he was wa- he was walking almost nobody. Uh, 1.3 walks per nine while striking out almost 10 guys per nine. Uh, that's exceptional. That's among the better strikeout to walk rates uh, in all of baseball uh, last year. And, and with that, he did carry a 3.72 ERA uh, over the course of the year um, with 1.20 whip. I think that he can continue to build off of that. And I think that health is really just the one question mark holding him back. Health and figuring out how to keep the ball in the park a little bit more. The the thing that I loved about what he did last year is that he had that elite strikeout to walk ratio like I was talking about. But he also um, had a ground ball rate that was almost 50%. So that that's a really nice combination. I mean, quite a rare combination too when you can... Um, do both of those things at the same time. The one thing that's still hurting him is the fact that he does give up too many home runs. So he needs to figure that out. Um, but if he can put that together and stay healthy, I think he has the potential to be like a three and a half to a 3.7 ERA pitcher. And if both he and Garrett Richards can do that this year, I mean, we could be talking about one of the better rotations in the American League. Really, really, those guys both have that potential, I think. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Yeah, I completely agree. And you're right. I mean, they're incredibly similar, and we are asking both of them to do a lot to carry, uh, help carry this rotation along with a healthy Erod. So we got a high expectations on... <laughs> pretty much everybody in the rotation (laughs) yeah that's for sure all right keaton let's get to bullpen uh who is your mvp of the bullpen i think that it is going to be uh hirokazu sawamura because uh you know we both feel like barnes and adovino are gonna get the first cracks at uh being the closer barnes uh, probably just that initial crack however uh, as I have mentioned several times on this podcast, that Matt Barnes has led the American League in blown saves in uh, 2019 and 2020. He was tied for the American League League in blown saves. However, both of those seasons, tied for second, was Adam Adovino. <laughs> hmm. <laughs> had one less blown save in 2019 and one less blown save in 2020. So both of them, their recent track records, uh, closing out the, the ninth inning is... Uh, little to be desired so i think if they struggle again like they have done in this recent past over the past couple years then we're gonna see sawamura 
lock down the the ninth inning role by the end of the season. I know that at least initially, I believe Cora has come out and said that he is not going to give Saramura uh, chances to close, and it's, they don't plan on using him in that fashion. But I think if Barnes and Adovino struggle, he's going to be forced to use him that way because I'm not sure who else you would feel comfortable turning to. Uh, Darwinson could certainly play himself into that role, but I wouldn't feel great about doing that now. Um, so I think if Adovino and Barnes continue to struggle to close out games, you're going to have to go somewhere else. I don't think it's outside the organization. Um, maybe if Durbin Feltman is just has a fire first half of the year, then you can start to rely on him, but I'm not really expecting that. So I think the best option after those guys is Saramura. So even bridging the gap in the 7th or the 8th to get to whoever the closer is is probably going to be Saramura's role to start the season, uh, which is right into high leverage work. And I think if these guys struggle, which um, I certainly don't feel great with them as the closing options, I think, you know, they are what they are. These are the guys we got to work with, so we're going to kind of live with it. Um, but if they struggle, which their tracker record shows they will, and I think Sauron was going to be the guy to step up, and we're going to be looking at him for the, those ninth inning jobs. So whatever his role ends up being, I think we're going to be asking a lot of him as well. <laughs> so I think he will end up uh, looking back a year from now, being like, hey, really glad we had that Sauron guy. Yeah, I like that pick a lot. That's really good. Um, I'm, I'm expecting big things from him as well. Uh, my guy is young Darwinson. Darwinson Hernandez, 24 years old. Uh, just an absolutely electric lefty um, from Venezuela, signed for next to nothing, and has become one of the more interesting pitchers in the Red Sox bullpen. Um, let me tell you the good, the good about Darwin's and Hernandez. Uh, 37.4% K rate uh, over the last two years. That's pretty good, right, Keaton? Yes. Yeah, that's that's really good. Um you know what's not good, though? 18.2% walk rate. That is nope. not good. That's not, not good. <laughs> no. Um, and and that is what Mr. Uh, Darwinson has always struggled with, is you know limiting those walks. But the strikeout stuff is so filthy that if he can dial that in, a la Andrew Miller, um, he could be that type of impact arm. And he could be that same type of multi-inning guy. Because Darwinson has had that past history of being a starter. Um, and I think that this is the year that he kind of figures things out and takes that step forward and becomes a truly dominating bullpen weapon. He has an electric fastball, 70-grade fastball. The curveball is one of the better wipeout offerings of any pitcher uh, on the Red Sox whole you know slew of pitchers, whether that be in the rotation or in the bullpen out of any pitcher in the organization. It's one of the best breaking pitches. Um, Changeup's good enough to show it every once in a while, but it's just that command control piece that needs to dial in a little bit more with him, uh, specifically the command. The control's okay, um, but the stuff is so good. I mean, he limits the exit velocity on his on his pitches. It's really difficult for guys to square him up, um, but I think that you know we could be talking about one of the better multi-inning um, relievers in all of baseball in a true weapon uh, if he can just dial in that command. And I think you know sometimes it takes a while for guys 
with this type of stuff to get it to all work. But when it does, you know, you're talking about Andrew Miller, you're talking about Josh Hader, you're talking about those types of players. And I don't think it's hyperbole to say that he has potential that is close to those guys if he can figure that piece out. Yeah, I would agree with that. And uh, having a guy like that in the bullpen, I mean, you you pointed out like Hader and Miller, and those were all on very productive playoff baseball teams. And I think that's kind of like setting the mold for how playoff bullpens can be successful going forward. So if this is the year that you can kind of break into that, and I think we're going to be set up pretty nicely for the future and uh, getting him into hopefully a lot of postseason games. Yeah, yeah, I think so. All right, on to defensive wizard. Keaton, who do you have uh, with this almost brand new outfield? <laughs> yeah, uh, well, I'm going with the the one guy who is not brand new, um, Alex Verdugo. Um, Alex Verdugo last year in 2020 was tied with Teoscar Hernandez for the league lead in outfield assists with seven. So he's got the arm and he's got the accuracy to take runs off the board. And he's also not too bad at making those web gems either. Um, He is certainly not going to make up for the giant hole Jackie Bradley Jr. has left. But uh, certainly he'll ease the defensive pains having a guy that you know you can rely on to uh, take runs off the board there in the outfield. No matter where he's at in center or right, uh, he'll be able to get it done. Yeah, I'm confident about him in center too. You know, I don't I don't think um we'll look out there and be like, "Oh, this is an area of weakness." Um I do think Jackie Bradley Jr is special and I am going to miss him. Um there was a great Chad Finn Globe piece uh where he was talking to Freddie Lynn about um who he thinks is the best uh, center fielder in Red Sox history. Because it's really, when you have that discussion, it's between three players. It's between Jackie Bradley Jr., Fred Lynn, and Tris Speaker. And uh, Tris played so long ago, and the game was so different that, you know, you can't really include him uh, in that conversation without making a million different caveats uh, about how different the game was played. Um, And Fred Lynn was even saying that it's hard to compare him to Jackie because of how different the playing surfaces were. And he was describing things like running into spiked fences and tripping over uh, sprinkler heads in the outfield and like all sorts of crazy stuff that players don't have to deal with now too. Um, so it was kind of interesting to to think about how much defense has changed too as, as the playing surfaces have gotten so much nicer and so much safer and guys can throw themselves into the wall with more reckless abandon and stuff. It's, it's, it's kind of fascinating. I was going to say that sounds like my high school field, except we couldn't afford sprinklers on the field. So (laughs) it's the dude with the hose. Exactly. (laughs) Um, For me, I'm going to look to the infield. Um, I, I think you made a great choice with Verdugo, but just to be different, uh, I'm going to look at uh, Enrique Hernandez. Um, second base defense since Pedroia has just not been great. Um, and I'm really looking for somebody with, you know, nice smooth hands and the ability to, uh, to pick it and, and, uh, you know, make some fantastic plays there. Um, I think second base defense has become sort of a lost art in the major leagues right now. And, uh, Hernandez can really bring that. So I'm looking to see what he can do. Agreed. 
I am also excited about it, but I think uh, if I had gone with someone other than Verdugo, it probably would have also been Hernandez. Yeah, nice, nice. Our next one, Unsung Hero. I'm going to explain this category a little bit. This is a guy who is not one of the stars on the team who we think is going to be extremely important to the success of the team. Keaton, who'd you go with here? Hunter Renfro. Uh, like you said, the outfield is like basically all brand new, and we're expecting a lot from Mr. Hunter Renfro. Uh, was not an everyday player last year for the Rays, but then again on Tampa, who is besides Meadows, I suppose. Um, we're going to ask him to lock down a corner outfield spot, probably both corners. I guess apparently if you uh, you know read into the way Cora has uh, been talking about using Verdugo in right at home games and in center and away games, and that would kind of put him in left uh, for home games and probably right for away games. Uh, but either way, we're expecting a whole bunch of at-bats from him hitting in the bottom of the order, uh, and production from the bottom of the order has been an issue the past couple seasons. And I think with his power – and what we've seen uh, when he's been given a full season, um, his last season in um, San Diego was really great. Over 30 homers. Hopefully he can do that again. Um, so I think him locking down a corner outfield spot, um, which I guess depth, outfield depth is still questionable in general. But, uh, you know, having it locked down certainly makes you feel better about it in the long run. Uh, and then him driving in runs from the bottom of the order. So... So another guy that I think that we're asking a lot from, but I think he's up to it. So would that be Franchi Cordero playing center field at home? Yes, that was what was alluded to. Huh. Don't know how I feel about that. I guess we'll see how the big man moves. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he's he's had some uh, some some sprint speed fluctuations over the years with the injuries too. So I'll be curious to see what version of Franchi uh, we get early in the season. That'll be one thing to look for. Or Duran just immediately right there. I would be cool with that. Love me, me some Duran. It'll probably be like uh, you know two weeks into the season. Oh wait, you know what? We've got this Duran fella. Yeah. I'm, I'm totally with that, Keaton. Um, I guess we're, we're sticking with our theme here. Um, I'm going with an infielder. Well, you're going with an outfielder. Um, I'm going to go with Bobby Dahlbeck, who I am apparently becoming the Bobby Dahlbeck guy this spring. And I don't know why, uh, because he's not traditionally been somebody who I've been all about. But Probably because you predicted like a million homers. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm apparently Bobby's number one fan now. Um, but yeah, I just think that Bobby Dahlbeck is going to have a huge year. As I ridiculously stated on last podcast, I predicted 36 home runs for Bobby Dahlbeck. Um, he really has been hitting home runs at that kind of a clip, though. Um, so I'm not sure it's completely crazy. It might come with like a 230 batting average. Um, but what I am confident about is just the type of shape he's in and uh, how hard he works. I think he's going to be a tremendous first baseman. Um, I think the things that made him a pretty good third baseman when he was in the minor leagues are going to translate to first. His athleticism, his ability to stretch. He's a huge target as well, which I think is going to be extremely valuable. Um, six foot four, um, long arms. He's going to be able to get to a lot of balls. He has a tremendous arm, which I think is is an underrated weapon at first base when you're talking about infield defense. 
Um, I think he'll be able to stretch out to his right to make plays. Um, I don't think a lot is going to get through on that right side of the infield between um, Enrique Hernandez and, and Bobby Dahlbeck. So I think he's going to do it at the plate with the home runs. He'll strike out a ton, but defensively, I think he's going to end up being one of the bigger bright spots in the infield. I hope so. Uh, it is pretty exciting. I mean, you just talk about not overreacting to spring stats, but he's got four hits and three of them are homers. <laughs> and not only that, they're oppo tacos. So <laughs> it's it's kind of hard not to, to see that and just be like, man, this is going to be fun. Yeah, yeah. If anything, he's going to be an entertaining player to watch. That's for sure. Um, all right, so Keaton, who is your first rookie who you think is going to get called up this year from the minor leagues? So I, again, went with an outfielder. I went with Jaron Duran. And this one is probably just kind of hedging. Um, like, I think the, the news came out today that the Red Sox are starting to get a little bit worried about Franchi Cordero's COVID-19 sitch, and he is looking more and more like he will not be ready for opening day. Um, and given the fact that the AAA season got pushed back a full month, um, I think it's gone from long shot to possible that Duran breaks camp, uh, plays the first couple weeks, um, like two, three weeks until Franchi's ready to come back, and then he goes back down for the start of the AAA season. Um, would not be shocked if that ends up playing out as we you know, continue to get further along and we're still missing Franchi. Um, they can still you know, work their service time junk, which, uh, of course probably will be irrelevant with the new CBA, but, um, still in play now. So, uh, they're not going to want to, or they're basically going to want to send him down for whatever that like two to three weeks eventually will be. And it makes, I guess it kind of, uh, plays into their hand, sending him down when the start of the AAA season starts. Uh, and then depending on how bad this is with Franchi, that could all kind of coincide with each other. So, I think if they want him to have just consistent at-bats after spring training rather than an alternate site for like another month and a half, um, I wouldn't be shocked if he, he broke camp with the team and he was the you know the first rookie to be playing in the majors. Yeah, I like that pick. Um, and I kind of think that if that happens, Jared Duran might never give it back. He might yeah. just Wally Pip him. For sure. Which Certainly I'd be possible. cool with. Um, I went with a pitcher for mine, um, and not the guy you might expect. I think most people kind of expect me to pick Tanner Houck here, um, but I actually went with Connor Siebold, who I think just probably is a little bit more polished as a starter at this point. Um, the scenario here where I see this happening is Nick Pavetta is just god-awful for the first month of the season. I don't have a ton of faith in Nick Pavetta. Um, I hope I'm wrong about him, and I hope he's awesome. But I think that uh, that could be a situation where if Nick Pavetta looks like he's just not a major league starter like he did towards the end of his time in Philadelphia, uh, I could see them pulling the plug on the Pavetta experiment in the in the rotation uh, and maybe moving him to the bullpen um, at some point. Uh, and, and then bringing up Connor Siebold, especially if they are not as confident in Tanner Houck right now, because I think right now Siebold is more of a finished product 
than Tanner Houck, and, and Houck didn't look great in spring. Obviously, I don't want to react to that too much, but I still think there are a, a few more question marks about his viability as a starter than there are with Seabold, and they may just feel a little bit more comfortable. And both guys are on the 40-man, so you know either one can come up, um, but I just think that it's going to be Seabold. That's a pretty good guess. Um, and when you wrote, when you put that into the slot here, um, I actually was kind of like, oh, yeah, you know what? That makes a ton of sense. <laughs> Would not surprise me if you were right about that one, man. Yeah. Hopefully uh, hopefully that Pavetta guy works out. But I don't know. What's your confidence level in him? One to ten. How confident are you? Uh, two and a half. <laughs> okay. Yeah, we're in a very similar spot. um all right who is your prospect to pop uh and by this we mean guy who maybe isn't you know thought of as one of the red sox top prospects right now but you know by the end of the year we're going to be thinking and getting really excited about those guys yeah i went with brainer bonacci who not only has a great name um he is 18 years old and has had uh, one season stateside um, in some developmental league action uh, where he actually did pretty well um, for a 16-year-old. Um, or was he 17? He's 18. Yeah. So, yeah, two years. So, yeah, 16 years old. Uh, 18 steals, which is real nice. Three homers. Uh, 14 doubles in 61 games, so really getting the bat on the ball. A couple triples and hit 279 uh, with a 356 OBP. Uh, it was only 61 games, and it was in developmental league. So, um, you know, I think we were looking for him to take a step forward in full season ball in 2020. Naturally, not the case. So, push that back a a season and uh, for a guy as young as him, that doesn't really do much to his development because he's still only 18 years old. So um, we saw enough basically from that developmentally to get, you know, to perk the ears up and now looking for him to really grab our attention. Uh, I'd say this is the, uh, the meme from Django Unchained. The, uh, you had my curiosity, but now you have my attention. Uh, so I'm looking <laughs> For that kind of season from Brainer Bonacci here, who uh, MLB.com had at the end of last year uh, ranked the 17th prospect in the Red Sox organization. All right. Good pick there. And also uh, some pretty good defense at shortstop, too, so far. So very interesting player. Uh, Keaton, I also went with an 18-year-old here uh, with my pick. I went with... uh, Red Sox uh, selection in the first round, controversial selection, Nick York, uh, who has just done nothing but impress uh, so far in the early going. If you haven't been reading about Nick York uh, and his progression since he was drafted, he's basically done everything the team could possibly want. Um, They asked him to lose 15 pounds. He went out and lost 25 pounds and came in in the best shape of his life. Um, he is continuing to show off why they were so ridiculously high on his hit tool. Um, he he actually looks like an MLB veteran when he's, you know, in the box against pitchers who are pretty damn good. Um, he His at-bat against A.J. Minter, which was tweeted out by the Sox Stats account, was uh, tremendous. Um, so definitely check that out, too. 
you're just not usually supposed to do stuff like that when you're 18 years old. So the hit tool does look special here. And the fact that he is athletic in also playing second base confidently now over the yips that he had last year, uh, that's pretty good. Um, so overall, I'm just very excited. And I think that he's going to tear up the minor leagues this year. All right. So that does it for our uh, our our superlatives. Uh, anything to add before we move on to the listener questions, Keaton? Bring on the regular season. Yes, we are very ready for that. All right, let's get to those listener questions. We got a whole lot from a great big lark, so we're going to get to a bunch of those. Um, let's start off with the first one. He says, big hypothetical. Let's say the Red Sox sign Devers to a long-term deal. Dahlbeck figures out his strikeout issues and plays up to his potential. And Casas is ready by 2022. Uh, if something like that happens, how do you think they should handle that? What do you think, Keaton? Well, when Mr. Casas is ready in this hypothetical 2022-2023, J.D. Martinez is probably not here. Uh, he has an opt-out or... Um, so he would could not be here for 2022, or even if he opts into that, then he's out 2023 because it's only one year left on steel. So all three of these guys would then be in uh, the lineup in some way or form. Um, I think Devers probably is the best chance of staying at third. I feel like Dahlbach would then get moved to DH and Casas play every day at first. I would agree with that, Keaton. Um, and I actually think that his next question kind of – asks about whether or not Dahlbeck or Casas could be a platoon at first or uh, whether one of them could get traded. I think that um, both of us are pretty confident in a J.D. Martinez bounce back this year, and I think that he would be the more likely guy to be traded in the scenario that he decides to opt in. Um, and, and both of those other guys are ready. I, I think that you know in this scenario where Dahlbeck figures it out, Casas is as good as we think he is. JD in the last year of his deal is probably a pretty easy asset to trade, especially if he's playing well. Yep, definitely. Um, and his next part, uh, kind of two parts here. He says, living in Portland, I was a bit bummed about missing many great prospects last year uh, that are now projected to start in AAA. Uh, he's hopefully excited to see Casas and Wong. Uh, he's asking about what double A starters we are most excited about. We will be getting to that this week, actually, on the on Red Sox on deck, uh, pro- the prospect podcast that uh, myself, Shelly Verstrait, and Bob Osgood are on. Uh, he says he loved the triple A on deck podcast this week and he's excited for the double uh, A one and tells us we can shamelessly plug this. Uh, because he enjoyed it so much. Well, we will. I will take any opportunity to shamelessly plug our new podcast. So if you're into the minor leagues, definitely check out our On Deck podcast, which we record on Thursdays and release on Fridays. Um, And we will make sure to give you all of our interesting AA starters who we're excited about this Friday. So I will tease it now and save it for then. Um, But I, I myself love, love the hell out of Portland, the city. Uh, Keaton is a Mainer, um, so he loves it as well. Uh, and I am so excited to get to Hadlock Field this year. I, Keaton, do you think you'll make it to Hadlock this year? Probably not. But um, every time I do return home, I tend to stop at the pro shop and buy some Sea Dogs related merch. So, I, well, I guess that means I will make it to Hadlock, just maybe not for a game. <laughs> 
What the hell are those uh, ice cream sandwiches that are so Sea Dog biscuits. Yeah, the Sea Dog biscuits, man. I, I need myself a, a nice Sea Dog biscuit, uh, a good local beer, and like a red snapper. That's what I need. I believe you can pick them up by the case at your local Hanny's. Ooh, all right. Here we go. Here we go. Um, all right. Next question comes from the big man and in. A great big lark. Thank you very much for your kind words. Uh, the big man says, I hate the idea of swing men. There, I said it. Keaton, what do you think about swing men? Um, in the context of... Baseball? <laughs> <laughs> I know. Well, I'm thinking like like for the Celtics? Like what? Did, what did, I'm not know. really sure. Uh where he's going with this exactly guys that guys that swing like a (laughs) like a dalbuck chavis kind of guy i don't know i think he might be talking about guys that go between the bullpen and the rotation here oh yeah i hate that too yeah i I am a big fan of of roles uh stay in your lane yeah exactly um, that's why I was never in favor of, of jerking around uh, Darwinson. You know, just just let him thrive in one role. Especially with a guy with those command problems, man. Let him figure it out in the bullpen. Great. All right. Our last one comes from Sturg48BLM. He says, uh, if you could add any former Red Sox player in their prime to this roster and turn them into contenders, who would it be? Difficulty, they can never have made an all-star team. That part made this way harder than it would have been otherwise, Keaton. Um, Let's go with two options, an all-star version and a non-all-star. Also, version no doubt is Pedro. Agreed. There's no other choice, right? I mean, you could say Ted Williams, I guess. Pedro in his prime and a healthy sale at the top of that rotation. I mean, good lord. Pedro in his prime is just the best thing ever. There's nothing better. (laughs) Full stop. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that's it. Like, there it is. Greatest thing ever. Pedro Martinez. Um, All right. Difficult version. Who did you go with for the non-All-Star? Um, this was difficult. So initially when we were talking about this before we recorded, I said Hideki Okajima because he's a really good bullpen arm and he can lock down those late high-leverage innings. Um, but I don't think like a high-leverage reliever turns you into a contender. So now I'm, I'm trying to rapidly think of somebody else you want me to go while you're you're thinking you're rapidly yes. thinking all right um i went with uh 1999 29 year old troy o'leary uh, of the boston red sox who played almost all of his games that year uh in left field uh, we know that the corners are new and different for uh this current red sox team Troy O'Leary was a beast that year, uh, 28 home runs, 103 RBI, batted 280 with a 343 OBP, 495 slugging percentage, um, was super clutch in the playoffs. Uh, always been a big Troy O'Leary fan since I was a kid. Um, loved his 99 season, loved his compete level. Um, just think that he was one of my favorite guys on the Red Sox never to make an all-star team. And, and so many of my other favorite guys that are kind of 
you know, who, who you'd think would be a little bit more obvious, at least made one uh, or two. And it's kind of weird. You know, we were brainstorming some guys, Derek Lowe, you know, uh, Wakefield, all those guys at least made one or two all-star teams. So uh, Troy O'Leary was the pick. Yeah, I think I need to do a little bit. I was just going to say Jason Bay, but he did make one all-star game because I remember he uh, represented Canada in the home run derby when yep. they did that like uh, season of uh, like someone representing every country. Um, so that doesn't work either. Uh, this is a great question. <laughs> this could be a much broader topic. Yeah, yeah, it is a good one. I mean, the thing is, you you really have to think about somebody – I mean, maybe Kevin Millar. Did that was one that came to mind too, because of because of locking down first base, um, and getting him. You know that season he was, you know, hitting bombs. Um, yeah, oh three Millar maybe when he had ninety six RBI. Yeah, I think I think you're right. I think that's the play. That's a pretty good one, because because yeah. you really have to pick like either a corner outfield spot or first right because even even second base feels a little bit more secure right now so i don't know if i'd necessarily you know go with a mark bellhorn type guy because um the defense might be even more important at this point yeah all right well that was a great question to end it here um if you did enjoy the show which we hope you did um please go on rate and review us give us a five-star review tell us what you think about this podcast uh the other podcasts on our network as well uh we also have uh the over the monster show with uh matt collins and brian joiner uh we have keaton and shelly verstrait on the pre-cap episode previewing in recapping episodes or games i should say uh of the red sox season And then we have the Red Sox on deck podcast that we talked about, uh, which uh, the big, great big Lark uh, enjoyed quite a bit. Um, So we previewed AAA uh, Worcester last episode. And this week we're going to be previewing uh, AA Portland. Um, So definitely check that out as well. And uh, tell all your friends about us and uh, follow us on Twitter. You can find Keaton at the Spoken Keats. You can find me at at Jake. And you can find the Over the Monster account at Over the Monster. We appreciate you making us part of your routine, whether that's at the gym or at home or on your commute or uh, whatever. Uh, We appreciate you making us part of your day. So thank you very much, everyone. And we will be with you again next week. 